My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. I'm coming to you from the Hickson campus of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And we'd love to have you come and visit us. But if you're not in the area, please go to OurSundaySchool.com to see all of the resources we saw in class. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Yay. I want to welcome everybody to our Sunday School class. I assume everybody can hear me at this point. Um, My name is Josh Landers. For those who don't know me, my wife, uh, Katie, and I, we've been in the Sunday School class for 12 years at this point, which is a numerically significant number in today's lesson. So um, we're just going to jump right into the text. If you'll read along with me on Mark chapter 5. I stand in front of the camera. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him a man out of the tombs with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces." No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I assure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, The man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for twelve years and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus, and came up behind him in the crowd, and touched his garment. For she said, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, 
and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who had said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except for Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha, kumai, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Amen. So on your table, you have a, a very, very large handout that Jim is very proud of, but it is three, three weeks of notes. Um, what we've decided to do is uh, we're going to do the second half of chapter five, but we're going to do a little bit out of order. So we're going to actually skip chapter five, verse 21 through 24 alpha today. We're going to start on your handout on page 151. And uh, we're going to do we're going to study the woman with the discharge of blood, which starts in uh, 24 Bravo. So I apologize. I'm in the nuclear business, and you're going to hear alphas and bravos today because that's how we speak in the uh, phonetical alphabet. So let's set the setting. Uh, you're on page 151. The setting. I'm not used to this either. So the setting is post storm. Uh, Jesus and his disciples had already gone east across the Sea of Galilee. They had gone to Gergesa. They had met the, the man who was possessed with the, the demons, with the legion. Uh, Jesus had cast out the demons. The demons had gone into the pigs. The pigs had run down the hill. They'd all drowned, and the, the people had asked him to leave. At this point, they get back in the boat, the disciples together, and they go uh, back west across the Sea of Galilee to Capernaum. So you can see here, and uh, like Mitch talked about, you can see the heights here where the wind would come down on him when it was in the east. But they were back in Jesus' uh, town of Capernaum. So the interesting thing that, uh, the nice thing I got to have is that this verse is in three different books of the Bible. So I'm able to go across and look at the different uh, verses and how they were handled. You remember to do this. So the first parallel verse is Matthew 9, 20 through 22. And I'm going to read it. So, and behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. And Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. 
And I thought it was interesting, for the first time, Mark had more words than, uh, than someone else, right? Isn't that amazing? Uh, so the next one is Luke, chapter 8, verse 40, 43 through 48. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who is it that touched me? And when all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowd surrounds you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touch me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. But we'll be in Mark, and we'll do uh, verses 24 Bravo through 34. We'll go straight to the first one, 24 Bravo. So the crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. So the word for 12 here is dodeca, which means 2 and 10. It actually occurs 15 times in Mark. And I didn't realize all the symbolism behind 12 and how often it comes up in the Bible. That's quite amazing. But I want you to put it in perspective and think about what were you doing 12 years ago? 12 years ago, Katie and I had just moved to Chattanooga. We didn't know anybody here. We didn't have children. So think about having a physical affirmity for that long that totally consumes your life. It's the entire age that uh, Jairus' daughter, how old she was. And I also want you to put yourself in her position and think about have you ever had a medical condition or have you ever had chronic pain? Usually you can talk to somebody about chronic pain and they'll, if they've ever had it, they will know exactly what you're talking about. Think about what chronic pain does to you, how it takes your emotions, and everything about you becomes that chronic pain. You can't think, you can't sleep, it's just that. So do that for 12 years. This is the woman that we're talking about. And the other interesting point is that she had been sick the entire time that Jairus' daughter had been alive. So this is a very important thing for Jairus, because remember now Jairus, we skipped ahead a little bit, Jairus had come to him and say, come heal my daughter, come with me. And I think that there's a pretty big significance there. But one of the most important facts that I don't want anybody to miss here is because this woman had had a discharge of blood for 12 years, she was ceremonially unclean. So let's read about what that actually means. In Leviticus chapter 15, verses 25, 27 through 31, if a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, not at the time of her menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond the time of her impurity, all the days of the discharge she shall continue in uncleanness. As in the days of her impurity, she shall be unclean. Every bed on which she lies all the days of her discharge shall be to her as the bed of her impurity. And everything on which she sits shall be unclean as in the uncleanness of her menstrual impurity. And whoever touches these things shall be unclean, and shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water, and be unclean until evening. Thus you shall keep the people of Israel separate from their uncleanness, lest they die in their uncleanness by defiling my tabernacle that is in their midst. So it's very important to note that she was not just in pain. She also had not just had it for 12 years. She was also an outcast. She had been pushed aside to the fringes of society. 
not just uh, to her family, not just to her friends, but also to her family. So think about that. Her family can't sit in the chair she sits in. Her family can't lay in the bed that she lays in. So this woman is desperate. She is at her wit's end. But I thought it was very important, though, for us to read Isaiah 64, 6, which says, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. Because there are a lot of sermons out there that talk about this woman. She was a sinner. That's why she was hurting. God, she was getting what she deserved. And Jim and I talked about it, and uh, I can't seem to find that in the text anywhere, Jim, so we're going to hold that with, with open hands. She was just like us. Mark chapter 5, verse 26. And who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. So this word suffer, this pashko, means to experience a sensation or impression, and it's usually painful. So she wasn't just being inconvenienced. She was in pain. She hurt. And then the spent, this depenayo, means to waste. She was in pain, she hurt, and she wasted all her money going to doctors. So now she was also poor and destitute. And then worse, this chiron means it was more evil or aggravated. So not only was she hurting, was she in pain, she did it for 12 years. She spent all her money, had nothing left, but she's worse for it. And what's, what's sad is that this passage actually implies that the doctors took her money, and then when she didn't have any more money, then they said, you're uncurable. Unsavable. And the point that I want to get out of this is, though, is that God never wastes a hurt, right? Because of her suffering and her pain and her being at the bottom, she is about to reach out and to go look for Jesus and go find Jesus. Verse 27. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind Him in the crowd and touched His garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. So this word crowd mean, is oklos in the Greek. It means a throng or a riot. So don't think that you know, Jesus is hanging out with three or four guys. They're just all chatting. She actually had to push through a crowd of people. People were trying to get to Jesus because they had heard what he could do. And they wanted to be near him. So this was a near riot. And she thought that she could be made well, this sozizio, which means to save. Which is an interesting word that uh, in today's language that made well is the same as save. And this was used several times. It was in verse 23 when Jairus said it about his daughter, come save my daughter, you can make her well. Verse 28 right here, she believes that she can be saved. She believes that she can be made well. And then it happens again at the end of this, um, these passages where Jesus says, you have been saved. You have been made well. The next part of this verse, though, talks about the garment or the fringe. She came to reach out to his garment. Where Luke says fringe and in uh, Matthew it says fringe. So there's actually a lot of historical significance here that we as uh, American believers don't get all the Jewish references or the Judaism that's actually uh, in, in a lot of this. So the first one's in Zechariah 8.23. 
This is actually some beautiful prophecy. It said, This is what the Lord Almighty says. In those days, ten people from all languages and nations will take firm hold of one Jew by the hem of his robe and say, Let us go with you, because we have heard that God is with you. Isn't that neat? Numbers 15, 37 through 39. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, Throughout the generations to come, you are to make tassels on the corner of your garments with a blue cord on each tassel. And you will have these tassels to look at so you will remember all the commands of the Lord that you may obey them and not prostitute yourselves by chasing after the lust of your own hearts and eyes. And Deuteronomy 22.12 says, Make tassels on the four corners of the cloak that you wear. So, there, this is amazing. This is what's called the, the seat seat. And these would have been um, on the four corners of the robe that the rabbis would have worn. Jesus most likely would have, been, would have had these on his robe. So it's kind of hard to see. This looked very large on my large screen at work, and now it looks very small. But you'll see on here there's five knots. And the five knots represent the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible, the law that Moses gave. Well, the law that was given to Moses. And then in between it, there's four sets of wrappings. And each one of these wrappings has a different number of threads wrapped around it. And they, they numer, 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 numerology, numerically represent uh, the words from the Shema. So the, the Shema in Deuteronomy 6.4 says, Yahweh, He is one, which is 39 letters. So between knots one and two, um, there's seven and eight, which represent Y and H, which I'm going to try to say it right, the Yod and the Ha. Between the next two um, is, is 11 threads, which is the Ve and the Ha, Yahweh. So there's 26 threads between here and here, which represent the Tetragrammatron. That is the name of God. And the last one, between the last knots, there's 13, which is Hekad, which is one. So all of this means Yahweh, He is one. Another neat thing here is they actually take eight different threads to make this. And there's five different knots. Eight and five add up to 13. And the word tzitzit adds up to 600. So that's 613 commandments that, uh, that were given to the, to the Jews. 365 thou shalt nots and 248 thou shalts. The last is the blue thread, which is the tekelech. The blue thread uh, in Judaism, in, in history, the Ten Commandments were written on sapphire stones. So the blue represents the sapphire. So all of this, what I want you to take away from this, is that the tzitzit, or the Word of God, was hanging from the four corners of the robe, and that represented the Shema. So Deuteronomy 6, 4-9, through 9, if I fail on this, I'm sorry. <laughs> Listen, Israel. Yeah. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. The words that I am giving you today are to be in your hearts. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you're sitting in your house, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Moses gave the Shema to the Israelites 
which ended up, not ended up being, but it is the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. Matthew 26, 22, 36, and 40. So what is represented here is the Word of God was hanging from the living Word of God. So she wasn't just reaching out hoping to touch some clothing, some special garment that she saw. She was physically reaching out for the Word of God. And if you don't really dive into the, the Judaism here and see all this, these, this is history, you miss these beautiful things. And I just thought that was absolutely amazing. Verse 29. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him. So this word immediately, we've heard this several, several times. This is Mark, I believe it's his favorite word. But as soon as she touched the hem of his robe, the seat seat, she was healed. And then the word for disease here is mastix. And I thought it was, uh, it was quite amazing that this ended up also being the word for the whip that the Romans would use on criminals, the flagellum. And uh, Jim explained to me that that's how nasty whipping was because it ended up taking the word for disease because that's what would happen to people after they were whipped. So this pain, this disease was taken from her immediately. So don't lose that fact that all this terribleness that had been on her for 12 years was gone instantly, and she knew it, by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So it's very important to note here that though this is not an active action by Jesus, this is passive. Jesus didn't reach out to touch her. Jesus didn't go looking for her. She came to him and she touched him and she was healed immediately. So this goes to show though that Jesus is God and he can't not be God. He can't go against who he is. He can't not be the healer and the savior. And the other very, very important part, though, is she was unclean. She pressed through the crowds to get to him, and when she touched his robe, he should have been ceremonially unclean. But he was not. He made her clean. His power, his dunamis, went from him to her and healed her. That is the Jesus that we believe in. 30 bravo. So immediately, Jesus turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? So again, we see immediately this euthios. It's the same word as, as when she was healed. And I'll put this in here just, just for us. that The word disciple here is methetes, which looks a lot like mathlete which is a learner, a person who learns from another. That was his disciples. I've never seen that before. And then the word pressing, this sunlithbo, means to compress or crowd on all sides. So this is another chance we could get some people up here and all smashing on each other, but it makes me terribly uncomfortable. So, <laughs> so I could see how Jesus is pressed on all sides, people trying to get to him uh, which really is a sad commentary on our society today that we're not pressing 
to get to Jesus. Uh, another interesting fact, though, is that uh, Luke, uh, Mark is very kind to Peter here, but Luke calls him out. Peter's the one that said, well, how? How do you know someone's touching you? Everybody's touching you. Everybody's all over you. Verse 32. So he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the truth. So the word for fall down here actually has two different meanings, which is completely amazing. This prospito. So one word for fall down means it could happen gently. Like someone comes down before Jesus, falls down before Him, and, and prostrates Himself. The other is violently. means a, like a storm or a violent storm that falls down on top of a person. And I don't want to lose the symbolism here because we've seen this happen several different times just in Mark chapter 5. So Jesus and the disciples were in the boat, and the wind and the waves violently fell down on top of them. Immediately after that, the demonic man runs up to Jesus and falls down before him. As soon as they come back over across the sea, Jairus falls down before Jesus and says, come heal my daughter. And now this woman falls down at Jesus' feet and tells him the truth, the whole truth. See, she thought she was going to slip in, touch the hem of his robe, be healed and leave immediately. But uh, Jesus had a little bit different plan here. He wanted to use this as an example to show his deity. And the other thing that I thought was amazing here is that she told the truth. So she didn't have to tell the truth. She could have said, I didn't touch you. And she could have slipped away in the crowd and disappeared. But she came before Jesus and she told him the whole truth. And let's think about what she risked here. Because she was um, unclean, because she pushed through all the people, technically made all of them unclean, and technically would have made Jesus unclean, when she told the truth, she risked bearing the consequences, which should have been, she could have been whipped, she could have been stoned, she could have been put to death for her actions. But she came down before Jesus and told the truth at risk to herself. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. So this word daughter, this thugeter, means a female child. And I think it's also extremely important that Jesus calls her daughter because technically Jesus was on his way to heal Jairus' daughter. And Jairus was a leader of the synagogue. He was an important man. And Jesus stopped what he was doing to go with the important man to heal one of his daughters. A daughter of faith. Someone who was in the family. The circle that we've been talking about. And he, I, I know he intentionally creates this parallel so that everybody can see the difference of the inner family. And I think it's also a sign of compassion because at this point she came trembling and in fear and she fell down before him. But he wanted to put her at ease which I think is another beautiful thing about Jesus, that uh, He wants to put us at ease in our suffering and in our affliction and in our humility. And the most beautiful word that He uses is that faith, this conviction, this pistis, 
this reliance on Christ, that faith has made you well. I did listen to some sermons about her having an incomplete faith. And again, I want to hold that with an open hand that I don't believe her faith was incomplete. I think she brought everything that she had and she laid it down at the foot of Jesus and she was healed because of it. And this word faith that, that, she, that is used here, it's used for the paralytic man. His faith made him well. Um, later on in chapter 10, the blind man, he says, your faith has made you well, that your faith has saved you, which is what we believe. And I do believe here, though, that Jesus was smiling when he said this. I think he would be smiling looking at true, utter faith, truth, repentance, the falling down. This is what I believe that we should look like when we come before Jesus. So again, the second part of verse 34, he says to her daughter, your faith has made you well, go in peace and be healed of your disease. So the word go here actually is this uh, hupagio, which means to withdraw or retire or to actually sink out of sight. And I think it's interesting they use that term there because she came uh, sneaking up behind him as if sinking up towards him. And then as he tells her to go, he says basically sink back out of sight, this into one of our prepositions, peace, irene. So sink the way you came and go back in peace and be healed. So originally, this is where I left this, this sermon, or this sermon, this lesson. And uh, our, uh, Jim reminded me that we're supposed to land the plane. So what is the personalization? What's the application? What should you take, like, take from this? And the biggest things that I taught, that I brought from this, was that we are all unclean. We love to go back and look at the Bible, and we look at these people, and, and we like to judge them and think poorly on them. She was nasty. She was unclean. Well, the Old Testament clearly says we are all unclean. We are all like filthy rags. And without Jesus, we can't be made clean. God uses our pain and suffering to draw us closer to Him. And I know there's plenty of people in this room that have had plenty of pain and plenty of suffering. And I know that with my guys that when we talk or the guys that I walk with on Sunday morning, the times that I've felt closest to God is when I've been at my lowest or when I've hurt the worst. And God doesn't do that unintentionally. That is, for, that is for us to be drawn to Him. And we need to remember that when we are at our lowest, that we do have a place to go. We have someone that we can fall down at their feet and lay those things on Him. We don't have to carry those things ourselves. The other important fact here is that Jesus is the living Word of God. He represents the Word. He is the Word. He was the Word. In the beginning, He was the Word. And that hangs around Him. And we can touch that. We have that Word with us. We have Him now. Um, so a group of friends uh, that are in my D group, I was uh, telling them what, I'm, uh, what I was going to be teaching this Sunday. And uh, one of my friends is a brand new believer. His name is Josh. He uh, grew up in Judaism. So he's like, oh, I know all of this stuff as we're reading through the, new t- reading through the Old Testament in, uh, in our D group. And um, the Shema was very important to him. He recently just lost his father. And he was able to fly to Connecticut. He was able to sit beside his father while he died. And apparently it was custom to repeat this Shema to someone while they're dying. 
And he said that he actually sang the Shema to his dad for about six hours over and over and over again. And he talked about what peace that that brought on him. So I told him, I said, man, I'm teaching on this, and it would be really cool if I had that sound bite from you. And believe it or not, this grown man sang the Shema and sent it to me, and I want to play it for you guys now, and I'll leave you with this. Amen. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and to our weekly email. You can do both at OurSundaySchool.com.